Well, good evening, and God bless you all tonight. Some good old sweet songs tonight to worship by. It's always good to uh, remember some of the old dear songs that have you've worshipped uh, by over the years. Uh, also, before we uh, begin, uh, there's somebody that needs a little help uh, moving some stuff uh, from their house to the curb. Um, Ron is overseeing that. Ron, are you here? Ron Egabrod, okay, Ron is out there. So if you'd like to help this Saturday, then um, see Ron on your way out. Well, let's turn to uh, Job chapter 10 tonight. Job chapter 10, let's pray. Father, as we sung a minute ago, Lord, to be to be washed in the, the wine of your blood. We, we thank you, Lord, that washed also too in the word. How your word, Lord, can, it's, it's a cleansing agent. And as we, Lord, take hold of it in our thoughts and our thinking, because, Lord, when something defiles us, it, it always begins there. So, Lord, we thank you that you've given us truth. Lord, you pray that we would be sanctified in the truth and that your word is truth. So I pray that, Father, as we, Lord, open it up tonight, that you would speak and apply it, Lord, to our lives in just that fresh way, that, that fresh way that only you can. And, Lord, we, uh, we pray as we, we study the life of this man, Lord, a man who lived 3,500 years ago, and he was a man that loved you with all of his heart. And yet, Lord, experiencing so many traumatic things in his life. And uh, even to have, Lord, uh, friends, Lord, who began to critique him. Lord, we, we thank you for the example, Lord, of his faith. And I pray that as we, Lord, consider his life, that you would speak and encourage and strengthen us, Lord. For, Lord, you know where each one of us are tonight. You know the, the struggles, the battles, the things that are going on, perhaps the questions that need to be answered. Lord, uh, there's something wonderfully, mystically supernatural when we turn to the Word of God. Lord, you have a way of, of, of taking, Lord, your truth, something that Lord, written thousands of years ago, but because it's the living word, Lord, you breathe life into it in a fresh way, and Lord, you speak into our lives. Lord, what an amazing thing, and we thank you for that. Thank you for your Holy Spirit tonight, Father, and Lord, we pray that your spirit would be active, Lord, to bring light, Lord, to bring understanding, Lord, to bring encouragement. You, you know exactly what each and every one of us need, Lord. So, Father, we thank you and, and ask you to meet with us now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, just a very uh, brief um, a few moments to review, actually, chapter 9. And remember, in chapter 9, Job is wishing here that he could subpoena God. He could bring God to court somehow, and hopefully that this guy could, could vindicate himself. Um, and, of course, we know that uh, he doesn't need to do that. 
uh, because we, we've read chapter 1 and 2. The Lord said he's blameless, he's upright, there's, 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 you know, he's Mr. Teflon, nothing is sticking at all to this guy. And yet because of his friends, because of, um, and, and his friends too, obviously they know the Lord. Um, and yet we find that they are uh, not really understanding, they're, they're not discerning, they're, they even though they have incredible truth, considering these are men from 3,500 years ago, um, in, in a sense, they don't come close to the revelation that we can possess today. Um, yet, they did possess revelation. They did, they did have understanding, but yet we see uh, over and over again, you know, in their handling of their, their dear friend having gone through all this, um, uh, sort of a, I guess you could call it a misapplication, and also a misrepresentation of the Lord because... You know, when we communicate to other people about the Lord, we're representing him. And really, they're not representing him. Even again, they're so convinced. They're absolutely convinced that, you know, because... And that's sometimes the thing, you know, Paul, Paul said, knowledge can puff us up. You know, you can have certain knowledge, and even good knowledge, good biblical knowledge. But it's so important that, you know, having knowledge, that we have wisdom. You know, wisdom's the application of the knowledge. Um, and, you know, and the thing also that we need to is, is a spirit to discern. You know, you know, one of the things I think that they lacked that in a great measure was discernment because uh, the fact of the matter is they shouldn't have been, they should have just, what they did for the first week, they, they should have just draw aside to Job and encourage him, maybe pray for him, say very, very little, um, because in their attempts to want to just rectify this, to, to fix Job, to fix the situation, uh, a lot of trite things, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're saying here. So, uh, and again, they're convinced about it. Now, one of the things, too, he, he's convinced that God is condemning him. Uh, he's crying out, remember, uh, for a mediator here, uh, you know, someone who could just bridge this chasm between him and God, and that's... And, of course, that's, that's always been the issue, isn't it? That's, that's why we have a, a mediator. That's why we have, uh, you know, a, a, the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, the Savior. He, he puts his hand on God, and, and he puts his hand on us. He's that bridge. Um, you know, he comes, you know he, he comes as God in the flesh, uh, representing what the Father is like. You know, as he says there to Philip, if you've seen me, you know, because Philip says, show me the Father. Well, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, and so as we study Jesus Christ, we, we have, you know, a perfect, he's the perfect expression, you know, of the Father. So as we see him, and we, we're, we're to represent that, we're to internalize. You know, when we talk about truth, it's more than just some intellectual thing. It's more than, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, Christianity can just kind of degenerate into a sort of an academic, you know, type of thing. But, but when you think about, uh, you know, God's truth, as we learn it, as we apprehend it, you know, as we assent to it and agree with it, uh, we need to internalize it as well. It needs to be at work, you know, within our lives. And the Holy Spirit, that's what, that's what his job, in a sense, is to do, is to, to apply that truth and to bring us through experiences where the truth that we know up here, that it makes it down here. It's, it's deepened, you know, into our life, because sometimes if it's just up here, uh, you know, sometimes young believers are like that. It's all just kind of crammed into their head, and they're going to tell you, you know, theologically, they're going to straighten you out and tell you everything you should and shouldn't do. Uh, but if they'll hang around long enough, you know, God will make sure that he moves what's up here, you know, down to here. Uh, and in a sense, that's what he's doing with all of us as we learn new things about the Lord. He's making them real, you know, in our lives. And sometimes that process is not, is not an easy thing. 
you know, when Job goes through this, he's going to come out as gold. Uh, there, were, there were many things. Yeah, Job was probably about 60 years old. But there were many things that he needed to know. I don't care how old you are in your life. Um, Abraham was just beginning to understand things and learn things at 70 years old. Uh, we see that um, Moses, uh, yeah, Moses comes into his ministry basically at 80 years old. Uh, so there's never this place where we get to where we arise. We're always in a sense. That's why Jesus called his you know, full-grown men, he called them children. Because in a sense, we're always learning, right? We're always students. There's always something. And I'm sure there's something going on right now in your life and every one of our lives where he's teaching us something. Um, there was a song many years ago, and it kind of re- it said, and it, and it spoke about the children of Israel, and in their learning process, it was like another lap, 40 years. It took them 40 years, another lap around Mount Sinai. And, you know, I don't want to just keep doing laps around the same thing, you know, in my life. You know, I want to get through my wilderness. I want to get through those particular times. I want to get into the promised land. And the promised land is basically where the promises, you know, um, are taking place, you know, in our life and in our particular experience. So obviously, there was something great and deep that, that Joe was going to come away with in this. And no doubt his friends as well. They were going to learn something, you know, uh, even though they felt that they were superior to him, they felt that, you know, um, they understood, you know, really what, what Job was going through, and they were going to help him to, to sort of navigate through that. And, of course, we find out that that's simply not the case. So he says here in verse 1, My soul loathes my life. I will give free course to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Now, he hates what life has become for him. And when he says that he loathes his life, he has said this three different times. Now, certainly he wasn't saying that before, you know, this event took place in his life, but he's saying it now. Uh, he's just, he's so absolutely, you know, bitter about what has taken place, and he confesses it. He confesses his bitterness. Of course, we know we have a, we have a greater understanding of, the, of what bitterness can do, uh, how devastating it can do. It can poison your life for years. Um, and at this point... Uh, He's just filled with this sense of bitterness about uh, his life and what's taking place, you know. Uh, and, and he thinks he's going to die. He thinks he's going to die. Well, he wants to die, and of course, he's not um, implementing that in any way, considering suicide, but he just wishes God and somehow would just sort of strike him down and take him out. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Show me why you contend with me. Uh, no doubt he's sensing tremendous condemnation. But remember, Satan is trying to destroy this guy. Uh, Romans chapter 8 says what? He, who is he who condemns? You know, is it Christ that justified us? No. There, there's a condemner. There's an accuser of the brethren, Revelation chapter 12. Uh, he's always accusing. He's always condemning. And we need to remember that. Uh, there are times where we're going through something and, and, and the enemy comes in, and we have to understand the difference between condemnation and conviction. Because when the Lord convicts, it's a deep, it's a deep thing. It's a deep spiritual thing where he's, where he's working, you know, in our lives and he's dealing with some particular issue. But, but condemnation is, is really from the enemy. Uh, and condemnation is designed to drive you away from the Lord. Uh, to make you feel that you know God is 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 angry with you, and that's that's what's happening here with Job. He, he thinks God is angry with him. What is it that I've done? And all his friends, in a sense, are affirming that. They're affirming that very thing, and it's simply not true. 
and so that opens up the door, in a sense, for this condemnation that's coming upon him. And aren't you thankful for Romans chapter 8, verse 1? There is now, there, therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So re- remember that. Don't let the devil condemn you. Um, and, and when condemnations work, it's usually, it usually works this way. It drives somebody from the Lord. They're not going to church anymore. They're hiding you know, they're, they're, they're in their man cave or whatever the case may be because they don't want to be around anybody. And condemnation is like that. It has a way of just sort of pushing us in the wrong direction because the Lord's always welcoming us. He's always saying, come, right? He's always giving us that opportunity to, you know, to repent and to get right and to get free from whatever might be hanging us up. So he's like, you show me why you contend with me. Does it seem good to you that you should oppress that you should despise the work of your hands and smile on the counsel of the wicked. Now, verse 3 are false charges. It's simply wrong. But again, this guy's been hammered on. He's been beaten. You know, the enemy, you know, is taking all the accusations from his friends and so forth and just hammering, you know, on this guy. And so he just feels that God's oppressing him at this. And again, they're not really representing the Lord, even though they know truth. Uh, he says, do you, do, you, uh, do you have eyes of flesh? Uh, do you see as a man sees? Uh, and of course, the Lord does. Uh, Job had n- no understanding at all, not even the sight his, in his imagination that the Lord would robe himself in flesh, uh, that, that he indeed would, you know, the incarnation, that he would become a man. Yes, he did. And of course, you know, the, the, the scripture says in Hebrews, you know, chapter 4, verse 13, um, he says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So, yes, God sees all things, but God isn't condemning him. He thinks that, you know, God, what is it that you've seen? Has there been something that I've, that I've missed, something I've done wrong? You know, the funny thing is sometimes when, they, when we're in these kind of places, there's a searching. There, there's such a searching that goes on, you know, within our hearts and lives. And, and, and part, of that, part of that can be a repentance, um, you know, where you know, we're, we're searching and, and if there's anything that I've said. You know, conviction is like that. Um, when, was, when there's a real conviction of the Holy Spirit working in our life, um, there's, a, there's a search there, you know, that takes place within our hearts. If there's something, you know, Lord, if there's, I've done something. And one thing, too, about, you know, when there's true conviction, there's a real cleansing. There's a deep cleansing that, that kind of takes place. And the Bible refers to it as godly sorrow that kind of leads us, you know, to the place of repentance. And no doubt Job is, that's a part of what he's thinking here in this whole scenario. But, but we know the fact of the matter is it's not necessary for him to repent of the things he's being accused of because he hasn't done them. Uh, he says, are your days... <clears throat> uh, the days of a mortal man are your years like the days of a mighty man, uh, that you should seek my iniquity and search out my sin. Although you know that I am not wicked, there is no one who can deliver from your hands. So he keeps falling back from time to time on the fact that God is sovereign. God's on the throne. God's in control. And there's a comfort to the fact that God knows everything, that, that he is in control, that he's promised that he will work all things to the good for you and I because we love him and we're called according to his purpose. Uh, we have to remember that even when things are difficult. Um, I, I imagine it had to be impossible in a sense, in one sense for Job to think at this particular time that somehow good's going to come out of this. Um, 
You know, when, when you look at the, the terrific loss that he's had and everything, everything that's sort of been rubbed out of this guy's life, and he could, you know, uh, and we can understand that. He, he, he could not see, you know, beyond his circumstances and in his situation. And yet he keeps falling back on the fact that, Lord, you're, you're sovereign. Lord, you know, you're, you're almighty. Um, and, and he says, no one can uh, uh, deliver from your hand. Your hands have made and fashioned me in intricate unity. Uh, and then he says, yet you would destroy me. And, of course, he's wrong there. God isn't trying uh, to destroy him. The, the funny thing is here, these guys, all of them, even Job, you know, they know, they know certain truth. Uh, they know about God's sovereignty, but you can know those things. You can know certain things about the Lord, but you may not understand his true nature. And that's why uh, at, at, we can only experience that and know that as we walk with him and continue to experience him, you know, in our life and in the circumstances of our life. Again, we can, you can, knowledge, it, it can puff up and, you know, you can have all kinds of, you can have half the, you can have books of the Bible memorized but yet not fully apprehend the true nature of God. Um, you know, somebody may know about, you know, the justice of God, and so they're always, you know, talking about the justice of God and, you know, and, and uh, you know, pointing out people's sin and that sort of thing. And the fact of the matter is uh, that person may not understand the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the forgiveness of God. And again, if we hang around for any length of time, we're going to experience these things because we're going to realize them from our own failures from our own circumstances in our lives and in our particular situation. Remember, he says, I pray that you have made me like clay. Uh, and, and will you turn me into dust again? Uh, did you not pour me out uh, like milk and curdle me like cheese and clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews? So he's speaking here basically you know, about his birth and his life and how he looks back. And he says, Lord, you favored me. You favored me. And, I, and you know, I imagine Job, as he sort of <clears throat> looked back and considered it all, he said, what went wrong? You know, did I make a wrong turn somewhere? You know, what, what, what happened? You know, where, where, you know, where is this loving God that I thought I had, you know, in my life? What, what, what's going on? Uh, you know, to have such a, a sharp downturn and all the, you know, and everything in his life, just everything's just sort of really going south. He's saying, you've curdled me like cheese. And how do you get cheese is you just keep stirring it up. You keep stirring it up and churning it. And, and he, look, he looks at his life and he thinks, that, that's my life. I'm just like a, you know, I'm just like that, that churn, you know, that churning cheese. And he says, you knit me together with bones and sinews. You have granted me life and favor. You've and your care has preserved my spirit. And these things you have hidden in your heart. And I know that this was with you. So again, you're touching on God's sovereignty. And, and I would imagine, you know, in it, when you're in a case, in a situation like that, in a trial like that, there are times where, you know, yes, you're, you're groveling in the mud. You're, you're, you're being accused. You're feeling guilty. Then there are other times where you have moments where... You know, you're, you're reminded of God's grace, God's mercy in your life, God's favor, that sort of thing. And, and um, I would imagine um, if we would kind of maybe diagnose Job at this particular situation, we might say he's kind of bipolar. Um, you know, as a, again, he looks at all these different circumstances and situations and feelings and emotions uh, considering what's happened to him. 
He says in verse 14, If I sin, then you mark me and will not acquit me of my iniquity. Now he's making a number of, of suppositions here. If I am wicked, woe to me. Even if I am righteous, I cannot lift up my head. I am full of disgrace. See my misery. So he's pleading here you know, to the Lord and probably to his friends as well that they would somehow be compassionate and see, can't you guys see what I'm going through? Um, and he's, just, he's crying out from the depths of his heart uh, relative to the pain uh, that he's feeling. And sometimes, too, you know, when people, uh, you know, sometimes um, you know, somebody says in a trite kind of way, well, I feel your pain. Uh, there are certain things that, you know, quite honestly, if we haven't gone through, you don't feel that kind of pain. Uh, but, you know, when we go through different kinds of experiences in life, uh, oftentimes they can equip us for, you know, opportunities for ministry, maybe because we've gone through painful things, and then God directs us to people that are going through similar painful things, and we have a ministry there. We're able to comfort them. We're able to point them in the right direction. You know, because when you go through a trial that you've been that way before, uh, you kind of, you, you feel just kind of desperate. Uh, you don't maybe know what to do next, and, um, you know, what kind of decisions to make and so forth. And so, you know, we become ministers of comfort and encouragement when we come alongside folks when they're getting beat up in their, in their particular, you know, situation. He says, if my, if my head is exalted in pride, you hunt me uh, like a fierce lion. And again, you show yourself awesome uh, against me. So he's saying here, how can I, you know, how can I defend myself against the Almighty? And it's true. You know, there is no defense against him, but again, the Almighty and it's really is not his problem here. He says, he goes on to say, you renew your witnesses against me. He's speaking about his friends. And the Lord wasn't renewing them. Uh, they were basically, they're out there on their own. We see that at the end of the story. And increase your indignation toward me. Changes and war are ever with me. Again, his circumstances have changed so rapidly, so quickly. He can't understand, and he realizes uh, he is in a war. And I wonder, I, just, I, I, I wonder here if this was his introduction into spiritual warfare. Um, the fact of the matter is we live, in a, you know, we, we live you know, not in a, just in a physical, earthly realm. We live in a spiritual realm. And, and we don't really come to understand the spiritual warfare. I think before we know Christ, we're, we're caught up in spiritual warfare. We're slaves. Um, the enemy just sort of takes advantage of people so readily, so easily. But it's only as we come to Christ can we get discernment and understand what really spiritual warfare is. But sometimes even that, when it happens, you know, we can, we can, you know, we can have done Bible studies and on uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and spiritual warfare and the armament and all those sorts of things. But when we come into spiritual warfare and all of a sudden we are, you know, in a battle, you know, with the enemy and with his lies and the things that maybe he's throwing against us, that's a different thing. And I wonder if this was perhaps his introduction, you know, to that. Uh, one of the things that we see as we're studying the book of Acts, we see Paul. Uh, we see people attacking Paul. Uh, that's, that's when the spiritual warfare breaks out of the spiritual realm into the earthly realm, uh, where the enemy is able to use people to attack us, whether it be verbally or even physically, that kind of thing. But uh, there is a spiritual warfare, and that's why the, Paul refers to us as soldiers. We have to realize that. Uh, I think there's so many people in our world today, I mean Christians, that think that you know, life is just a bowl full of jelly, but, you know, and, and, you know, it's a playground, and it's all about having fun, 
and entertainment and that sort of thing, and that's wrong. And oftentimes those people, those very, those very people are taken captive, you know, by the enemy in their thinking, um, you know, because of spiritual warfare and those sorts of things. Okay, we are in, let's see, we are in verse 18. Why then have you brought me out of the womb? Why was I born? Oh, that I had perished and no eye had seen me. Uh, he's complaining once again about, about dying. Um, I would have been as though I had not been. I would have been carried from the womb to the grave. You would have been basically a, uh, a, a miscarriage. Are not my days few? Cease. Leave me alone. Now, he's, he has said that before. He said that to his friends, I think, last time we looked at this. He says, cease, leave me alone, that I may take a little comfort. Uh, looking for some, just longing for a reprieve, a break, you know, in the sense of the action. Because it seemed to be, I, I don't know how much time there was between the dialogue of Job's friends. But it seemed to be they were just sort of just lining up you know, one after the other um, to, uh, you know, basically uh, take their shot uh, at Job. And he's just looking for a break, some reprieve. Before I go to the place from which I shall not return, uh, to the land of darkness and the shadow of death, a land as dark as darkness itself, as the shadow of death without any order, um, when, uh, where even the light is, is like darkness. So, uh, he's pretty darkened at this particular, you know, at this time. He, he keeps speaking about darkness and that sort of thing. And obviously, too, he has a very, because of the time frame in which he lived, he had a very limited view of death, life after death, especially for the believer. And that's why it's important, I think, for you and I. We need to realize, I think there's many... There, there's different ideas in... in the evangelical, the Bible church today. There's a lot of um, rejection of, of end times uh, prophecy, what we would call categorizing by eschatology. Uh, there's a lot of people don't want to, they don't want to think about heaven. They don't want to think about, you know, what's beyond this kind of a life. And, and I think the problem with it is, is that this life becomes an end in itself. And you know what the folks as much as we may try to make this life here heaven, it never will be. God has not designed it to be. And I think we have to be very careful about that. You know, in reality, when you think about our life here and now, it's a test, isn't it? We're in a testing period. It's a form, if you will, it's a form of probation. And, you know, what we do here and how we live, it's going to determine our future, you know, our future life. You know, I was... Uh, uh, listening. I think I, I read this meme, um, and the meme was, it, it was kind of interesting. It, it said, uh, heaven has requirements, but hell has free borders. I don't know if you've uh, seen that one out there. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, I don't know if it was uh, an application to what's going on in our borders or whatever the case may be, uh, but it's true, you know. Uh, heaven has requirements, um, but hell has open borders. You know, you can just you, it's uh, it, it's 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 there. And uh, anyway, let's turn to chapter eleven here. So Zophar is the next guy up to the plate. Um, 
And again, I'm not sure how much uh, time was between these different dialogues, but it kind of reminds me of a, uh, of, a, of a boxing match. You know, there's a left hook, you know, hits Job, and uh, he goes down, and he gets up, and then there's a right cross, and he goes down again, and he kind of picks himself up off the mat, you know, after these dialogues with his so-called friends. And then Zophar the Namathite answered and said, Should not a, the multitude of words be answered? Should a man full of talk be vindicated? Uh, should your empty talk make men hold their peace? Well, it hasn't, hasn't made them hold their peace one bit. Um, and when you mock, um, should no one rebuke you? The thing about this is, Job has to answer all these insinuations and accusations, and they're the cause of it. If it wasn't for them and their dialogue, Job would have probably been quiet and just sort of, you know, sat down on the ash heap um, and maybe just, just prayed about these things. But it's all their insinuations, all their accusations that are prompting him to say a whole lot more than he probably should be saying. And yet they're charging him with empty talk. For you have said my doctrine is pure. Well, it was. <laughs> he was innocent. And I am clean in your eyes, but oh, that God would speak and open his lips against you. Kind of sad, isn't it? That he would show you the secrets of wisdom. You know, the Bible says the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And you know what the secret was here? Job, knew, Job had the secret. I'm innocent. That, that was a secret that, of the Lord in his life, and the, God knew that. But his friends didn't know that. You know, it's interesting. Jesus said, you're my friends if you do what, do what I command you. And, and the, you know, one of the great aspects of, of friendship is secrets. Who do you share your secrets with? Your friends. And, and it's important, I think, for us to have and develop that aspect of a relationship with the Lord, that relationship of friendship, okay? And that comes in our life as we, as we surrender ourselves to him, as we uh, heed his word, there are things that God just, you know, places, you know, there's little secrets, there's little secret truths, you know, that he, that he places within your heart. He w kind of whispers them, it seems to be, within your heart and within your life. That was in, really, that was the case for Job. He says that he would show you the secrets of wisdom for, you, for they would double your prudence. In other words, Paul, uh, 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 rather, Job, you're not very smart here, um, you know, if... Um, you would just look to the Lord. You would double your, your intelligence here. Know, therefore, that God exacts from you less than your iniquity deserves. So actually, Job, you're getting what you deserve. Um, great friends, aren't they? They're lovely friends. He says, can you search out the deep things of God? Well, how can we? Only what's revealed to us by the Spirit. Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than heaven. Uh, what can you do deeper than uh, Sheol or the grave? What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. And, and once again, that reminds me, you know, we've been considering it a couple of different times. Uh, Romans chapter 8, or chapter 11, rather, verse 33, when Paul writes there, Oh, the depths of of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, 
and his ways past finding out who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been become his counselor uh, and who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. So Paul reminds us there also too, you know, about the wisdom and knowledge of God. Yes, they, they, you know, they are deeper. They are higher than heaven. But praise God, isn't it a wonderful thing that he would show us those things? He would reveal himself to us. Uh, he would speak, you know, those glorious truths, you know, into our hearts and, and into our lives. And verse 10, if he passes by or imprisons or gathers to judgment, who then can hinder him? Well, obviously, no one. But what they're doing here is they're throwing Job's own words back in his face from chapter 9, uh, verse 12. Who then can hinder him? Uh, for he knows deceitful men. He sees wickedness also, and that's the implication. <laughs> Job, you, you, you've deceived us. You know, you've, you've been kidding us, Job. But God sees the wickedness, you know, in your life. Will he not then consider it? For an empty-headed man will be wise when a uh, uh, will be wise when a wild donkey's colt is born a man. Um, in other words, he's basically saying, Job, you're being rather stupid about all this. Uh, and if you would prepare your heart and stretch out your hands toward him, if iniquity were in your hand, um, and you put it far away, again the insinuation. Uh, is that he's done these things, but Job has done none of these things. And would, not, and, and would not let wickedness dwell in your tents. He was careful not to do that. Then surely you could lift up your face without spot. You know, the spots that he had, in a sense, were scars. You know, Paul speaks about his scars. In, in a sense, remember, the Scripture reveals to us that, that Messiah, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is creator. And so his spots, in a sense, he is suffering. If you put it in an Old Testament, you know, if you put it in our context, you know, this situation, he's suffering for Christ. He is really suffering because his life is innocent. He's right with God. And yet here's all these accusations that have come against him. His, really, his only spot is really his scars, his suffering that he has suffered for the Lord. Because he would forget your misery, he, he goes on to say, remember it, uh, and remember it as the waters that have passed by. Uh, I think it's very hard, extremely hard to forget when you have 10 dead children. And again, these, these guys have no sense of really empathy in, in all that's taken place in Job. You know, they, are, they, are, they, are, they have got a laser focus on the fact that, Job, you sinned. You sinned. And I think that that's one of the lessons that we need to learn from the book of Job is we need to be very careful with that because God can let people go through some really harrowing trials. And we may be on the outside, you know, looking at their life and we may, you know, be critical. We may be critical about, you know, that person and think, you know, think wrongly. Um, and I think there are times when, when the Lord allows that to happen in our life so that he shows us how easy it is to become a judgmental, critical, you know, kind of person. You know, these guys, in a sense, you know, they're, they're, they're rather rigid and legalistic. They're, they're, they're assuming that their lives are just so perfect that that's why they're there. They're there to be able to correct Job and all these, 
issues, but it's, it's actually, in reality, the table's turned. Job's the righteous guy, and all he's simply trying to do is get some compassion and some empathy, you know, in this particular situation. They go on to say, your life would be brighter than noonday. Though you were dark, it would be like the morning, and you would be secure because there is hope. Yes, you would dig around and take your, take your rest, you know, in safety. And again, there's shallow, limited understanding of the ways of God. They're, they're, they're looking at Job in that way. You would also lie down, and no one would make you afraid. Yes, many would court your favor, but the eyes of the wicked will fail. Uh, they shall not escape, and their hope is loss of life. Oh, my goodness. It just goes on and on. Uh, in other words, that's the next thing you have to look forward, Job. You know, you're going to lose your life here in this particular situation. And again, the implication is if you would just obey, if you just square your life away, Job, and you would just simply obey, that God would just come, he would just bless you and prosper you. And you know, it's a commercial kind of faith. Prosperity teaching is like that, okay? You just clean up your life, God heal you, man. If you just you know, get your obedience lined up, and I'll tell you what, man, you're going to have a lot of money to put in the bank because God's going to just bless you. He's going to bless off you, bless your socks financially. And it's a commercial kind of faith. It's just wrong. And they're, they're, they're applying these things to, to this man who is, his faith is like gold. They have no idea that they're in the wrong and he's in the right. And I'm sure the Lord's going to teach them a very valuable lesson as they go through this. But again, even as we sometimes may judge other people or be critical of other people, um, you know, if we're in tune with the Holy Spirit, we're going to learn something from that. We're, we're going to learn. I, 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 and this is true. I, whenever I think so, some, something negative about something, the Holy Spirit almost like instantly shows me something about me. And I go, okay, Lord. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> so again, the, the, Zophar, his theology is all neat and tied up in a nice little bow. And um, chapter 12, Job answered and said, no doubt you are the people and wisdom will die with you. What a great comeback. No doubt you are, you, know, you are the people and wisdom will die with you. Uh, I think Job had a, you have to have a sense of humor, okay? Uh, sometimes you can see that in, the, in other parts of Scripture. I think the Lord has a sense of humor. So he, he responds, no doubt, you, you're the people. You guys got, a, you got all your ducks lined up, and when you die, wisdom will die with you. But he says, I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you, and obviously, they're looking down their noses at Job, a sort of an attitude of superiority. And that's why I think sometimes when we see, you know, other people when they go through something, um, that we need to be tender and compassionate. You know, I was just sharing this with, with a brother um, when it comes to, you know, helping other folks and restoring other folks. It's in Galatians chapter 6. And Paul speaks about this. He says this, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in any trespass, any sin, any sin, sometimes we're more compassionate on the lesser sins, okay? 
Well, we'll be easy on you. You didn't sin too bad, okay, kind of a thing. But he says, any trespass. And sometimes a trespass can be a deliberate kind of thing, okay? Like one time I was hunting, and the deer ran into the woods. And I walked along this old logging road, and I saw where he went in. And as I looked up on this big giant oak tree, there it was. No trespassing. I didn't go in, <laughs> but I wanted to go in. <laughs> and if I would have went in, it would have been a deliberate kind of thing because the sign was right there. And sometimes, you know, we have the knowledge, right, as believers, uh, and yet we can, we can violate that knowledge, and that, that's, a, that's a trespass. Sometimes sin is ignorant, okay, but there's also. But so he's saying here, if, any, if a man has been overtaken in any trespass, notice this, you who are spiritual... You've got to be spiritual, okay? You've got to have some maturity in your life. Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, empathetically, compassionately, to restore them. Notice what he says, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. That word restore is kind of interesting. You know what it means? It's, it's, it's sort of like a medical term. It means to restore a broken bone. Did you ever have a broken bone? Did you ever have a broken bone and maybe before it got set or you got, the, you know, you got that cast or whatever put on it and now tender, it's like, oh, oh please, please, you know, be gentle with that kind of a thing. And, and that's how we're to be. That's how we're to be to, to help people to get back, you know, to the Lord. You know, so there, you know certainly, you know, the, the worst case scenario is when somebody's casting aspersions on somebody. You shouldn't have done that. You got exactly what you deserve. That's what these guys are doing. Maybe not in that same kind of way. Maybe that's happened to us when we were kids, you know, with our parents and whatever the case may be. And he says, I'm not inferior to you. Indeed, who, uh, who does not know such things as these? Job answers. I am one mocked by his friends who called on God, and, and he answered him, the just and blameless who is ridiculed. He, he just felt so mocked and ridiculed, you know, by this. And, and it, was, it, was, it was unrighteous. It was unfair. Uh, now, now, verse 5 here. Uh, there, sometimes words are translated Sometimes the same word, you know, sometimes it may be because of a jot, a tittle, or an umlaut, you know, over, you know, a certain, you know, indicating a certain vowel can change the meaning of the word. Um, and I think this is perhaps one of those cases where the translators might have had a little bit of difficulty with it because many of the other translations where it says a lamp, they translate it basically, um, basically, you know, uh, as maybe disaster, uh, so let's read it with, with, let's sort of interpolate it and read it in, in, with that sense. Uh, disaster is despised in the thought of one who is at ease. In other words, uh, people are so often indifferent if they haven't gone through that kind of trouble, if they haven't gone through any kind of difficulty. But isn't it amazing how that changes when it comes to our address? When all of a sudden, you know, something that, you know, we saw somebody else, you know, navigating. Maybe they didn't do well to it. 
maybe we were critical, maybe we, we thought we had the, we knew you know what they should do or whatever, but it, it, it changes, doesn't it, when it comes to our particular address, you know, when we're, you know, living life uh, comfortably and easy and we may not have to face, you know, those particular problems, you know, um, sometimes we read about uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ, um, if you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, have you ever thought about, you know, what would you do if you, had a, you were told to recant Christ? You stood before, you know, the Inquisition, and you had to recant Christ. And, and here was somebody saying, well, uh, if, if you will recant Christ, I will save the life of your child. I will save the life of your spouse if you recant Christ. And, and there have been situations and circumstances like that. Uh, I think, was it you, Latimer? Um, which was a church leader, and, uh, and he was put under basically, uh, you know, the, uh, the inquisitor's, um, you know, um, um, test and so forth, and he basically, he caved in, he gave in, he gave in to it, and, and later on he regretted that, and, and eventually he was burned at the stake. He was burned at the stake for it because he uh, stood for Christ and so forth. They wanted him basically to recant his position and so forth and to accept, you know, their, their particular... And a lot of times, too, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of folks don't realize that um, the great persecutor of the, of the evangelical church through the Middle Ages was the Catholic Church. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that. And uh, when you read the, Fox, the Fox's Book of Martyrs, and there's a lot of historical documents, you understand those things. And that's not bashing the Catholic Church. That's just simply saying, you know, that's just basically saying, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, agreeing and identifying the fact that they were the chief persecutors of, you know, the the you know the true Bible believers, you know, during that that darkened period, that dark age, because they simply would not subscribe themselves, you know, to the sacraments of the church and, and all of that. And that was that was the whole problem. Uh, I would encourage you to uh, read. Uh, Luther's biography, and uh, particularly by Arachnotaxis. It's a great historical document to understand what was going on during the church, you know, during that, during that particular time. And um, uh, I think uh, Metaxas does such an incredible job. As a matter of fact, I mentioned it on Sunday morning uh, a month or a couple months ago, and somebody came up to me Sunday and said, you know, I've been reading uh, 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 Metaxas's uh, uh, Luther's biography, and he says, I love it, it's great. And, um, and the fellow that uh, is reading it, it was a fellow that went to Catholic seminary to prepare for the priesthood. And um, yeah, and uh, so it, it's, it, I think it's really encouraging to, to be able to understand you know, our history and to see you know, the price has been paid uh, as people have laid down their lives to get us a Bible. Uh, you know, when you think about, you know, during that particular time, this when the first Bibles went into print, you know, uh, Glutenberg's Press and Tyndale and, you know, all these historical figures to, to bring to us this incredible, this book that we have that we can have so many different translations. Uh, you couldn't even have a Bible. Most, most people back then uh, were illiterate, and um, it was a gift to be able to just read, but to have a Bible and to read a Bible, you had to be a wealthy person, you had to be a rich person to have the Scriptures. So we, we are incredibly blessed. Well, let's move on here. <clears throat> so he says, uh, um, Disaster is despised in the thought of one who is at ease. It is made ready for those whose feet slip. Uh, he goes on to say, The tents uh, of robbers 
uh, prosper. In other words, it seems to be they get away with it. And those who provoke God are secure. You know, it only seems that way. It only seems that way. It particularly seems that way when you're going through a trial. You know, when you're going through a trial, trial and, you know, you can't pay your bills. And I've been there. I, I've been there where we've had to pray just to pay our utilities kind of a thing. And sometimes you look at people just, you know, here's the ungodly, and they're rich. They're rich. They throw money away. You know, they take $10,000 vacations and do things of that nature. And, you know, you're hurting. You're financially struggling. Say, why, Lord? Lord, I'm doing your work. I'm serving you. And, and these kind of things can, can happen to us when we're in our trial, not just necessarily about those kinds of things. Maybe it's a trial for our health. And here's the wicked. And they're healthy. And, and that was it. Wasn't that the issue in, 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 for the psalmist in Psalm 73? Um, I just want to read Psalm 73 to you. And it starts out like this. Truly, God is good to Israel. Oh, he is. He's a good God. He's an awesome God. But look what he says. He's good to Israel and to such are of a pure, that are pure in heart. But notice what he says in verse 2. But as for me, as for me, yeah, you're good to Israel. And you know when you go through your trial, you're thinking he's good to everybody else. But as for me, Lord, have you forgot me? My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. <laughs> you see the prosperity of the wicked. You see them, they're healthy, they're happy. <laughs> you know, they, everything in their life is new and they just got money to burn. And the psalmist here is saying, man, as for me, Lord, what, what's wrong with me? Lord, you said you love me, and, and he does. And it's interesting because if you go later into this uh, psalm, he says in verse 13, surely I have cleansed my heart in vain. He gets cynical. We see that in Job. He gets kind of cynical about his situation, his circumstance. Like, God, you've forgotten me. He said, I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. He's probably thinking, man, I've been repenting and repenting and repenting. And, and I'm in such, you know, dire straits. And, and man, look at the wicked. And they just, their life is just, they seem so happy. And if I said I will speak thus, behold, I would be untrue to the generation of your children. Now, notice verse 16, when I thought to know, when I thought how to understand this. In other words, when he tried to figure out his problem. When he tried to figure it out, it was too painful for me. I couldn't figure it out. Because you know what, folks? Job can't figure out his problem. And we oftentimes cannot figure out our problems. There's too many variables there's, there's too many loose ends. There's too many things that we just, that not only what we can, it's not just what we see. There's the spiritual invisible, invisible dynamics that are going on that we can't understand those things. Job can't understand he's being attacked by the devil. All he sees is his friends. And, and they're, being, they're being inspired in the wrong way.
when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I understood their end. You see, this is what happens. When we go and we, we get our focus, our fixation on the Lord, there's a clarity that comes to our situation that would not come otherwise. And that's why there are some people, they will not go into the sanctuary of God and get on their faces before God, and they're, just, they're trying to figure it out. They're wrestling with it. They're struggling. They're getting cynical. They're getting bitter. They're turning away from God. we got to go to Him. We've got to get on our face. We've got to cry out. And apparently he went into the temple. And the Spirit of God met with him. And the peace of God came on him. And the Lord realized and showed him. He said, surely you set them. They're in slippery places. I'm not. You see, God can give you and I insights that we can get in no other way. And again, we have greater opportunities to get insights than Job did because you know why? We got this. We got God's word. We got God's promises. We got Job's experience. We we got Asaph's experience from Psalm 73 to remind us Don't get cynical. Don't try to figure it out on your own. (laughs) Go get before the Lord. And sometimes, you know what, folks, we just need to do that. Our lives are so busy. We got so much going on. We're so distracted. And we just keep wrenching our hands. And sometimes, you know what, you just need to get your Bible and go get away with God. Go get away. There's been times in my life um, over the years where I've just said, you know, I've, I need to go away by myself alone for a few days and just get with God. And every time I have done that, he has always met with me. Joe, you were just telling me you just went away for, what, three, four days? A couple weeks ago, a month ago, whatever? And you, you came back and you said, man, the Lord had spoke to me. He died, he'll do that for us. See, that's our temple. That's our sanctuary. When we just go to meet with the Lord. And he can bring a peace that passes all understanding. He can bring a clarity. He can encourage us in a fresh kind of way. But you need to, we need to take time. We're just so absolutely driven with our schedules. It eliminates the perplexity. He says, surely you said them in slippery places, then cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation in a moment. They are utterly uh, utterly consumed with terrors. And and he's speaking there about the person of the world. And you know why God's so good to them now? Because for many of them, this is all they get. You see, for the unbeliever, this life is the best that it gets. For you and I, the believer, this life is the worst that it gets. Because folks, from here on out, it's getting better. And the way things are going, I'll tell you what, in this world, man, the Lord is coming soon. Got your seatbelt on? 
A lot of things. It's happening quick. It is happening so quick. The, the spirit of Antichrist is taking over this world, and God's allowing it. Because Antichrist is coming. That's who they want. They don't want Jesus Christ. And God's going to give them the leader they want. But until, that, until the Lord calls us home, folks, be busy about our Father's business. There, there is, there is, there, we never realized two, two years ago how quickly things were just sort of spiral. The things that go on in our nation. I think what we're watching is the Nazification of our nation. We can kill babies outside the womb now. Joseph Mengele had nothing on us. Look at all the people because they won't get a vaccination. Their careers are ruined. Look at all the, look at all the heroes in the medical field who were heroes a year ago. Now their careers are over. We never thought this could happen in America. But see, America's turned from God. And he's our hope. Heaven is our hope. We are citizens of another country. But let's take everybody, let's take as many with us as we can. Amen? Okay, verse 7, back in chapter 12. But now ask the beasts and they will teach you, the birds of the air they will tell you. Or speak to the earth and it will teach you, and the fish of the sea will explain to you, who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this. So he's saying, you know, even the dumb animals are, are more deserving, or more discerning rather in their actions than his friends were in their actions. Uh, in whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? Does not the ear test words and the mouth taste food, rather? You know, if God gave our ability to our ears and our taste buds to evaluate, he's saying basically to these guys, why can't you evaluate my true condition? Wisdom is with aged men. Sometimes <laughs> there's, well, there's old fools as well as young fools. Wisdom is with aged men and length of days with understanding. And, and basically his friends were supposed to be older uh, and, and to be wiser than him, but I don't think that's the case. So with God, verse 13, with him are wisdom and strength. He has counsel and understanding. He points out that God is, you know, sovereign uh, over all of creation, even though it may be in rebellion. If he breaks, uh, breaks a thing down, it cannot be rebuilt. Uh, if you've been to Israel, there are many cities in Israel Jesus cursed when he was here. And you know what? They've not been rebuilt. Put a curse on him. Because if he said, if, if what had happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, if what had happened here had happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would repent. They would have repented. They didn't. So he cursed those cities. And you, you, you know, when you're on a tour, you go over and see some of those ruins of those, those ancient cities there, particularly in uh, Galilee. So if he breaks down, it cannot be rebuilt. If he prisons a man, there is no release. Only when he sends his word. Remember, his word came and told us and released Joseph. If he withholds the waters, they dry up. Think, of, you know, think about all the drought out west and all the fires. Um, 
California has 150 reservoirs. They have the biggest reservoir in the, in the probably maybe in the world, uh, but certainly in the United States. It's called, uh, it's called uh, Lake Mead. Whoops, I better leave that off. It's going to make a lot of noise. Uh, Lake Mead, and Lake Mead is only one-third at capacity. It's at its lowest point since Franklin Delano Roosevelt was president. And if you've seen pictures of it, you just see it's down like, you know, 100 feet. And there's no relief in sight. I think God's speaking. We'll see that later on as we get into the 30-some chapters there of, uh, of Job about the weather and so forth. He sends out, uh, if he sends them out, they overwhelm the earth. And thinking about, you know, the water and floods, uh, was it just yesterday? Someplace up in Washington got six inches of rain in 24 hours. You saw some of the pictures on the, on the and it's, it's sort of unusual for that area of Bellingham, Washington, to get flooded like that. And again, I think the Lord's just speaking, speaking to our, to, our, to our world today. You know, sometimes he takes away the temporal things that the spiritual things might be established in the lives of people. Uh, with him are strength and prudence, the deceiver, um, the deceive, deceived rather, and the deceiver are his. He, count, he leads counselors away plundered. He makes fools of the judges. He loosens the bonds of kings. He binds their waist with a belt. He leads, he leads princes away plundered and overthrows the mighty. He deprives the trusted ones of speech. He takes away the discernment of the elders. And if you notice all those positions, judges, princes, mighty ones, uh, trusted ones, and the elders, these are all the leaders, you know, in culture and in society. Remember the psalm says he brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He takes away, what he's saying here, he takes away their authority. He takes away their power. You know, the wisdom of the world, God lets, he lets the world go on for a certain period of time, but eventually the conventional wisdom of the world, it fails people. And that's why we as Christians don't rely on the world. You know, I've seen during this pandemic, the, the talking heads control people. And everybody just sort of bowing to, it's almost like they're bowing to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. Don't listen to the world. We need to listen to the Lord. He pours contempt on princes. Princes are political figures. He disarms the mighty. You know, when you think about pouring contempt on princes, who do you, who do you think basically shamed our governor? The Lord did that. We're praying that the Lord would deal with him. Now, he can repent and be saved. I'm not certain that's going to happen. It's hard for people in positions of power with pride. He, he's pretty much defending himself. He uncovers deep things of darkness. He exposes things, and he brings the shadow of death to light. He makes nations great, and he destroys them. You know, think of the once great nations that are now in the dustbin of history. If America doesn't repent, it's heading there. 
And it will because if you know the book of Revelation. A lot of people are predicting a civil war. And we are kind of imploding, aren't we? We're kind of imploding. Um, I, I'm more concerned about the moral, the immorality, and the decisions uh, of our nation. Because that, that's, you know, when you, when, you, when you operate by the wisdom of the world, you make some crazy, stupid decisions. I'm not, I'm not worried about some Russian missile, some Chinese missile. We're well, well on the way to destruction on our own <laughs> because we've turned away from the true and the living God. And every nation, has, and it's interesting, every nation has had you know, opportunities with the gospel. But then eventually they say, usually after a couple hundred years, there comes a rejection you know, of the Lord, and, and he's just sort of thrown out. That's what we're seeing in our world. He makes nations great. He destroys and destroys them. He enlarges nations, and he guides them. Think about how abortion has shrunk. It's absolutely shrunk our, our nation. Not just by 60-plus million. Probably more like 300, maybe 200 million. Because of the children, those 60 million people would have had. He takes away the understandings or the understanding of the chiefs of the people of the earth. When you reject truth, that's what you have. He makes them wander in, the, in a pathless wilderness. In other words, he's speaking here about the chiefs and the leaders. They're directionless. That's what Jesus said, that the world at the end will come to a place of perplexity. And that's what we see, going, that's what we see taking place, just perplexed. That, that's why we're all just sort of unifying one world government to fix the world's problems so that we won't be fighting with one another. And you know, when they come up with that, that, those kinds of ideas, they're definitely not original. The, the Lord has seen it. They grope in the dark without light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. So again, making these gross and stupid decisions um, because people have been turned over, been turn, turned over to, the, to their own wisdom, to their own devices. So Lord, we thank you as the church. Lord, you have, you have given us, Lord, a wisdom and an insight. Lord, that's eternal. And I pray that you... Dear Father, as we see and watch our nation in decline, Lord, there's a tendency to get really angry and to be frustrated. And there's a part of us, Lord, we want to fix it. But we also realize, Father, that may not be possible. So help us, I pray, Lord, to be busy and faithful to be doing the things that you want us to do. Lord, I thank you for those that are here tonight. I thank you, Lord, for your work in our lives. 
I pray that, Father, you'd help us. Lord, not to be a part of the problem, but, Lord, to be a part of the solution. Sharing our faith. Lord, being a witness. Lord, reaching out to those that are lost. And give us, I pray, Father, a, a, an empathy, a love, a compassion. For, Lord, this time for the church is not a time of anger. It needs to be a time of compassion. Free us, Lord, from the attitude where we're trying to save America, the system, the lifestyle. Lord, help us to be about saving souls. For, Lord, all these material things will be left behind someday. And any time, Lord, we ever talk to a man who's dying on his deathbed, Lord, he cares nothing for his possessions. He's only concerned of where he's going. And so, Lord, we thank you that you have given us a blessed and eternal hope. And help us, we pray, to communicate that, Lord, to those that are near us, Lord, to those that you put before us. Lord, help us, we pray, to glorify you. We pray it, Father, and ask it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. Shall we stand?